Welcome. Hi, this is Tiffany Marchink. I'm the host of the Medal of Honor podcast. As we've jumped into a new year and a new season, we're also going to have a new focus of the podcast. That focus, I want to give you a heads up on. I want to let you know what to be looking out for. We're going to be covering topics that can be quite triggering for some people. I want you to be able to listen to these episodes without being triggered. So in the description of each episode, I will give you what that particular trigger warning is in that episode. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about PTSD, military sexual trauma, being impacted by suicide, and mental health. Mental health is something that we're aware of that exists, but for some reason it's such a taboo topic. We don't want to talk about it. But honestly, we need to talk about it. So we're going to have some guests that come on who talk about what their mental health issue is, Some are going to share stories about how they maybe made some wrong choices and went down the wrong path. Some have turned to alcohol. Some have turned to drugs. Some have turned to sex. Some have turned to a a number of combinations of any of those things because they didn't want to address the issues that needed to be addressed, but instead wanted to mask the pain. Fortunately, these people have realized that there's a better way to handle these these problems or these issues that they're dealing with. Happy New Year. Now, before I before I move on to what's next in this episode, I do want to share something with you. This is part of the reason why I want to focus on the, these topics of mental health, suicide, and MST. You may have heard about that 22-a-day challenge, where you do 22 push-ups a day for 22 days. And its purpose is to bring awareness awareness about 22 veterans dying by suicide each day. The goal of this 22 a day brings awareness to family members and provides resources for those who are affected by PTSD and veteran suicide. It's important to educate others and show our support to those who are in the military. Now, I think that 22 a day accomplished its purpose. I think it did bring an awareness to those who didn't know maybe how bad that suicide is within the military and veteran community. But now, where I feel like we are is great. We're aware. 22 veterans die a day each day because of suicide. But once we're aware of something, I think we've got to do whatever is necessary to take action. So for me, I don't have a catch-all solution. But what I do know is it's important for us to talk about suicide. 
it's important for us to talk about our struggles with alcohol, drugs, um, whatever our coping mechanism is, and how it's not always working out. So we need to turn our focus to maybe a mental health provider to get us the help that we need. I truly believe that there's power in sharing our stories. So I, I believe that the more we share our stories, the more healing we receive. And the more that people listen to these episodes, the more hope that person can have as they listen to others who struggled maybe in a, the same way or a similar way that that listener is. So I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with people who, the, who you think might benefit from hearing stories of mental health, suicide, and MST. One quick story before I close out. When I started to go get counseling for mental health, I remember the provider said to me, okay, I'm going to start you on this particular medication. And I was very reluctant, very resistant, just didn't want to do it. And she asked me a question. She said, have you or anybody you know, whether it's a family member or a friend, have a heart attack? And I said, well, sure, my dad. And she said, well, does your dad have to take some sort of statin or aspirin for the rest of his life? And I said, yes. And she asked me, is there anything wrong with that? I said, oh, no, absolutely not. You know, it's great that there's that medication for him after having a heart attack. And she said, now, I want you to hear what you just said. He had a heart attack. He takes aspirin and or a statin for the rest of his life every day and that's okay so why is it okay to take care of your heart in that manner thank you very much this is where it's at my name is Lafford Fate and I'm a retired American Airman I retired out of Shaw Air Force Base as the command chief of the 20th fighter wing I had almost 31 years when I joined, when I left. I joined the Air Force at 17 years old uh, from a little place called Glenville, Georgia. And I had two thoughts in my mind. I was either going to do six years as my list, initial enlistment, or I was going to go 33 years. That was the thought in my mind because I was using the first six years to just sit and I fell in love. I knew my first year in that I wanted to make it a career. Now, I'm not saying I did everything right, but I just knew that it was the place for me because I met so many people from all over the place that knew things and were doing things. And just I, I just fell in love with the Air Force. Again, I stayed in for nearly 31 years. I started out as a security policeman, and ended up as a medical person before I transitioned into the command chief role. Uh, funny thing, as a security policeman, much of my military training was at the Fort Bullis's and the Fort Bliss, Fort Dix. I went to a lot of the training because back in the day, the Army protected the base out five yards, five miles past, and then base police handled the base or to a mile out. And so when they did that transition, they taught us to be forward to take care of the whole base perimeter inside and out so 
Uh, got a lot of army training, sir. No wonder you're such a good guy. No wonder you're such a good guy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they'll probably never say this again in Air Force history. Back in 1992, there were too many military police. There were a lot of things that were closing down. And so I had an opportunity to cross train. They, they let some people out. Mm -hmm. uh, they gave people opportunities to cross train. And since I was relatively young at that time, they said, you can, you can pick something or we'll pick something for you. And so I decided to go to this program we call Social Actions, Equal Opportunity Treatment, Human Relations, and Drug and Alcohol. So that was the direction that I met, that I went to. And a lot of that was because uh, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, and I grew up with, uh, with people surrounded with addictions, both drug and alcohol. And I wanted to, one, understand and one, to do something to help uh, those people because my family is riddled with those issues. And then there was this person, Erica Kelly. Um, Tiffany, thank you again for having us in your show. I am, uh, I served for 32 and a half years in the Air Force. And just like Lefford, I navigated not through a lot of career fields, but at the beginning of my military career, I was what uh, we would call a ground medic. And I did that for about seven years before transferring over to AirVac. And in AirVac is where I found my passion to really taking care of people, to traveling, to being just part of a, I don't want to say a bigger mission because everybody has a specific uh, role. It was just something that I loved. And I did AirVac until I became uh, or was um, part of the chief club or the E9 for other branches of the military. And that's what moved me to thinking that I could compete, that I could serve in a different capacity, which drove me to putting in for command chief position. And um, I was able to do that. And my last assignment was at the Pentagon with the Air Force Reserve Command as the command chief, but also as the senior enlisted advisor for the chief of the Air Force Reserve. So I, I kind of had two jobs in my last assignment. They now I own a business just like Leffer does, and both of us are speakers. Uh, we're both coaches, and we are both trainers. Right now, I'm concentrating in um, communications, leadership, and diversity, equity, and inclusion classes. Morning. In the Army, we call them battle buddies. Uh, I don't know if you do the same thing in the Marine Corps, but your fellow Marine that was hit by a suicide bomb, did he end up surviving that? Yeah, good question. So he was a platoon commander. He responded to a sniper threat in a suicide vest. A guy with a suicide vest on ran out of a building, detonated it. He killed a Marine and he blew up my buddy. My buddy lost his leg actually below the knee and he was rushed to Germany and then to Walter Reed. And if you fast forward like five months later, when we got home from deployment, I was one of the first people that visited him in Walter Reed. 
Dave actually came and testified at my court martial. I went to his wedding. I mean, we're, we were close. And Dave must have undergone over a hundred surgeries. And even a year later, they went and took it above the knee. He had probably a hundred ball bearings in his body that had to work their ways Wait. out. He would hit a clostomy bag outside of his body. I mean, he was, he was in bad shape, but Dave is just like a success story. So two years later, after he had healed and had the prosthetic and worked his way back out, he actually remained in the Marine Corps and deployed to Afghanistan twice as a company commander and as a general's aide. And then he ended up medically retiring as a major. So he was always kind of an inspiration to me of someone that loved the Marine Corps and wanted to deploy again, even after a situation like that. Um, over the years, though, it, um, I, I went from medicating with just alcohol to medicating with alcohol and pain pills to experimenting with other drugs, anything I could to uh, not have to, to face reality, I, I guess. I did not realize that I had a mental illness. You know, I didn't know that I had post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't know these things. I just, in my mind was, I don't want to deal with what happened to me. I'm tired of nightmares. I'm tired of flashbacks. I'm tired of anxiety. So my way of coping was always try to, in some fashion, be, have some type of intoxication.
her way to the mail Proud and all out veteran Tiffany Markink was a guest on episode 122 of Women of the Military podcast hosted by Amanda Huffman. This is Tiffany's response to Amanda's question, what would you tell young women thinking about joining the military? I would tell them to do it. You, you never know until you try it. And I would tell all young women who are looking at joining the military I would not try to sway you to do a certain job or join a certain branch because at the end of the day, it's all the U.S. military. So I would challenge, I would challenge them to do their research to find the branch and the job that fits what their desires and goals are because their needs can be met in all of the branches. And it's again, it's all the U.S. military. So I would tell them to, 
you do the research and then pursue it. And once they get in, I would just challenge them to go full force and, and make the best of themselves that they can while they're serving and take advantage of every opportunity that comes their way. No, anytime you go through the uh, choice program, there is a cap initially on the number of sessions that you can have. It doesn't matter if it's car practice, mental health, uh, and specialty care. There is a cap on what the individ- uh, individual can go see that examiner for initially at the front. Because this is actually paid for and covered by TriWest. So it's, it's, uh, and again, just to make sure that, and I say TriWest because I, again, I know that to be where I'm at if it's Tri, TriCare North or South, whatever the case may be. That may be dependent on your region. However, we have TriWest in the Midwest where I'm at. So that being said, um, yes, again, there is cap. And again, it, I, it depends on the specialty, how many, uh, how many encounters they give you. At any one time, um, there is always potential for you to continue that care. But again, that is up to number one. There has to be a mutual agreement between the the contracted provider. Like, say, for example, I want to, I want to see Doctor B. She wasn't much talking about. I want to see Doctor B. My first encounter be covered, and probably most likely the addition of the next five encounters. So a total of six encounters would be covered. And if there is a good provider patient relationship, and I want to continue that. And if the VA choice program will continue it or allow it or try West will allow it, then we can continue that, uh, that relationship and continue having that treatment. But again, it's all based on number one, the availability of your local VA. If they can accommodate, they don't have to let you go through that choice program. Um, uh, but again, if that's not if something that can be accommodated, definitely, uh, reach out and see if that option is available. As an MST survivor, I understand the desire to want to be in a safe, protected environment where there's a level of comfort as I share these intimate details. Part of that is to have a provider who can create this atmosphere. For me, part of that is having a provider who is the same gender as I am as I discuss a military sexual trauma. So if I go into the VA, and walk into the mental health department and share with them that I experienced an MST. I want to get some counseling to help me navigate through the process of ciphering through the experience. And I share my desire to have a female provider. The person then tells me, at this time, we only have male providers. At that point, what do I do? If I know I need help and I prefer a female, yet the VA, the place where I receive my care, only has male providers, Do I have any other options besides, one, just don't receive care, or two, get over it and see a male provider?
you. Have a nice day.